Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot, episode titled Hercule Poirot's Christmas, with the obnoxious multimillionaire Simeon Lee unexpectedly invites his family to gather at his home for Christmas. The gesture is met with displeasure by many of the guests. The patriarch also sends for Hercule Poirot as he feels the reunion might prove perilous. This is indeed the case, as one day he is found with his throat slashed in the middle of his ransacked study. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this nostalgic mystery radio. Merry Christmas, and thank you for listening. We present Peter Salas as Hercule Poirot in Hercule Poirot's Christmas by Agatha Christie. Dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell. The year is 1938. Thank you very much, madam, and a happy Christmas to you. Oh, thank you very much, sir. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Porter, sir. Can I help you? Yes, yes, you certainly can. Which train, sir? I want the Adelsfield train. Oh, we'd better be pretty smart, then. Number seven, sir. Train's pretty crowded. Not a seat anywhere, sir. I'll have to put you in the corridor, I'm afraid. That's all right. At least there's a pretty girl for you to look at in that compartment. Oh, thank you, sir. Merry Christmas. Take your seats for first lunch. You taking lunch, sir? Um, no. First lunch, please take your seats for first lunch. Uh, do you mind if I sit in here while they're all in the dining car? No, not at all. Thank you. Ah, yeah, you're not taking lunch? No, I'm not hungry. Oh, the train is pretty crowded. Oh, yes. The people go away from London, I suppose. To go to their families for Christmas. London's rather a terrible place, isn't it? Oh, yes. I do not like it at all. You are not English? I'm British, but I come from South Africa. Have you just come from abroad? I come from Spain. But my mother was English. This must be a terrible time for Spain. The news of the war seems to get worse every day. It is uh, very terrible, yes. Is that why you came to this country? Yes. I am going to stay with my relations. With my English relations. I see. Tickets, please! Thank you, madam. Thank you, sir. Oh, it's the third-class ticket, sir. Oh, well, I only came in here to sit down while they were taking lunch. Well, I'm sorry, sir, but you can't stay here. This is a first-class compartment. That's the children from the village? Uh, yes, the second time today, sir. The footman would see to them. Good. You mustn't let the seasonal spirit get out of hand. But I do want this to be a real family Christmas, Tresillion. Indeed. I can't look forward to many more at my age. I want to see all my children around me. And I fancy that may mean a few unpleasant surprises for some of them. Has Mr. David said when they are arriving? I believe not, sir. It must be years since he last set foot in this place. Always got on my nerves with his art and his music and his dreamy, moonstruck ways. 
but he was his mother's darling. I couldn't stand him any more than I could stand her. I just can't bear the thought of going back there, that great, gloomy, unforgiving house. I hated every moment I spent there. When I think of all that Mother suffered... Yes, dear. She was so patient, Hilda, lying in pain but enduring everything. And when I think of my father bringing all that misery into her life, humiliating her, boasting of his love affairs, unfaithful to her time and time again and never even troubling to conceal it, he broke her heart, he killed her. I decided then I couldn't go on living under his roof. I'm sure you did right, David. I can't think how Alfred stands it, how he has stood it all these years. But Father could always twist him round his little finger. But you escaped. I escaped. And now he wants us to go back there for a family Christmas. What's he up to? Does he have to be up to anything? Your father's growing old, David. He's a lonely old man who's beginning to feel sentimental about his family. At any rate, David didn't go and marry a girl 20 years younger than himself like that fool George. When's Mr George coming, Tresillian? We have not yet heard, sir. Old before his time. Nothing but a pompous windbag. I'd have thought there were enough like him in Parliament. <laughs> the Honourable Member for Westeringham, God save us. Well, I think it is my duty to go, Magdalen. Oh, darling, don't be a hypocrite. It'll be perfectly ghastly. Moreover, it will enable us to put the servants on board wages. Christmas is always expensive and we need the money. Oh, George, don't fuss. So you're always worrying about money. Well, someone has to worry. Oh, turn that darn thing off, won't you? Oh, it's absurd to pinch and scrape in all these little ways. Why don't you get more money out of your father? Well, he does give me a very handsome allowance. George, you're not a child. You're middle-aged. He ought to settle some money on you outright. No, but that's not his way of doing things. But he's a millionaire twice over. What's going to happen when he dies? Well, I should imagine that the bulk of it will go to Alfred and myself. And your brother David? No. Father always said he would cut him out of his will. And, of course, there's Harry. Harry? Who on earth's Harry? Ah, ah, uh, my brother. I never knew you had another brother. Oh, we never mentioned him. He was a thoroughly bad lot. <laughs> now, what is it, Macklin? What are you laughing at? <laughs> oh, I was only thinking how funny it was that you, of all people, should have a disreputable brother. You're so respectable. I should hope so. Your father isn't respectable, is he, George? Oh, really, Macklin? Well, sometimes the things he says make me feel quite uncomfortable. Mind you, if I were a few years younger, I'd certainly take a lively interest in that young woman. Where are Alfred and Lydia? Uh, they are on the terrace, sir. Oh, pretty cold day to be out on the terrace, I'd have thought. Uh, Mrs. Lee is attending to her gardens. Her gardens? Yes, she has constructed miniature gardens in the old stone sink, sir. There's an Italian garden, I think, and uh, a rather pretty little Japanese one, you know, with uh, bridges made out of plasticine. Good God! I thought she was supposed to be a woman of breeding. Well, I've got a little surprise for that precious pair. Send Horbury to me. And this is a new one, isn't it? What's it supposed to be? It's the Dead Sea, Alfred. Do you like it? It's rather arid, isn't it? Well, it's dead, after all. It's my contribution to our sentimental family Christmas. God knows why your father is insisting on dragging all these people down here. It'll only cause trouble. Why do you have to give in to him all the time? He expects to have his own way. Naturally, since he always has had it. The father expects to come first. He's very good to us, remember? You mean financially? Well, he never grudges us money. You can spend what you like on clothes and on this house, and the bills are paid without a murmur. Yes, and in return, he expects us to be his slaves. We have no lives of our own, no independence. I wish you wouldn't talk like that, Lydia. The old man is very fond of you. Well, I'm not at all fond of him, and he knows perfectly well I don't like him. <coughs> uh, Lydia... 
What is it, Aubrey? It's Mr. Lee, madam. He asked me to tell you that there will be two more guests arriving for Christmas, and would you have rooms prepared for them? Two more guests? Yes, madam. Another gentleman and a young lady. A young lady? That's what Mr. Lee said, sir. Tell him we'll be up to see him directly. Very well, madam. How I dislike that man. He creeps about the house like a cat. One never hears him coming or going. To tell the truth, I don't like him much either. But it's not so easy to get a good male nurse. And father likes him, that's the main thing. Do you know what I think, Alfred? What? I think your father's been bored lately, and I think he's planning a little diversion for himself. No guess who's coming for Christmas. I'll bet you a fiver you won't get the answer. Aubrey said you expected a young lady. And that intrigued you? Yes, I dare say it did. Pilar will be arriving any minute now. I gave orders for the car to meet her. Pilar? Pilar Estravados. The child Jennifer had by that frightful Spanish artist. Now that Jennifer's dead, I want to see my only grandchild. She's my flesh and blood, and she's coming to live in my house. Oh, it's going to be a grand Christmas. All my children round me. Well, there's a clue to the other visitor, Alfred. All my children. Guess, boy. Um... Harry, of course, your brother Harry. But I thought he was dead. Not he, alive and kicking. You're having him back here. Ah, the prodigal son. Eh, yes, you're right. We must kill the fatted calf, Alfred. We must give him a great welcome. But he treated us all disgracefully. If he hadn't got us all into such a mess, I'd, I'd have been able to go into the army. Christmas is the season of forgiveness, Alfred. I never dreamt that he'd come within these walls again. Well, I rather fancy he'll be in them for some time. He's coming home to stay. What? But we must let bygones be bygones, mustn't we, Lydia? I see you've thought a good deal about Christmas this year. Yes, sir. Can I help you? Bless if it isn't Tresillian. How are you after all these years? Why? Mr. Harry. <laughs> That's as though I've given you quite a shock. Oh, it's cold out here. I'm expected, aren't I? Oh, yes, indeed, sir. Yes. Come in, Mr. Harry. <laughs> Just the same ugly old mansion. Still standing there. That's the main thing. How's my father, Tresillian? Hey, well, he's something of an invalid, you know, sir. He keeps to his room and can't get about much. But he's uh, wonderfully well, considering. <laughs> the old sinner. And how's my dear brother, Alfred? Oh, he is very well, sir. Looking forward to seeing me, eh? I expect so, sir. <laughs> I don't. I bet it's given him a nasty jolt, my turning up. Well, if you will just come into the drawing room, sir, I will see if I can find Mrs. Alfred. That's fine by me. All the old exhibits in their place, I see. Don't believe anything has changed since I went away 20 years ago. Good Lord! Are you my father's seventh and most beautiful wife? I am Pila Estravados. And you must be my Uncle Harry, my mother's brother. Oh, so that's who you are, Jenny's daughter. Why did you ask me if I was your father's seventh wife? Has he really had six wives? No, he's only had one official one, though quite a lot else on the side. Well, Pila, really gives me quite a turn to see something like you blooming in this mausoleum. How do you do, Harry? I'm Lydia, Alfred's wife. Ah, how do you do, Lydia? How does it look after all these years? Oh, pretty much the same. And the rest of the family, are they well? Didn't you know? They're all coming here for Christmas. Regular family reunion. <laughs> What's come over the old man? He must have changed. Uh, perhaps. Why, if it isn't Alfred. Hello, Harry. Funny to be here again. I expect so, yes. A good many years since you uh, 
got out? <laughs> yes, Alfred. I'm glad I've come home. Yes, I suppose you could say I've been a very wicked man. All men are wicked. None say so. And that is why one has to pray for them. And they say you repent when you get old. That's bunkum. I don't repent. <laughs> and I tell you, I've done most things. I've cheated and stolen and lied and... Women. Oh, always women. Someone told me the other day of an Arab chief who had a bodyguard of 40 of his sons, all roughly of the same age. <laughs> I don't know about 40, but I bet I could produce a very fair bodyguard if I went about looking for the brats. Now, what do you think of that, Pilar? Are you shocked? Why should I be shocked? Men always desire women. My father, too. That is why wives are so often unhappy. And why they go to church and pray. <laughs> uh, I've had a good life, a very good life. But it's, it's a long time since I've seen anything so young and beautiful. Huh. Uh, I want to show you something. Uh, uh, help me up. Uh, something I bet you've never seen in your life before. I'll, I'll just get them out of the safe. Uh, 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 now, do you know what they are? Hmm? Diamonds, child, diamonds. But they are little pebbles, that is all. <laughs> they are uncut diamonds. That's how they are when they're found. Why do you not have them cut and made beautiful? Because I prefer them like this. They take me back to the old days in South Africa. Old Ebfar. It... Well, who can that be? It's too early for George, surely. Yes, sir. Can I help you? Is this where Mr. Simeon Lee lives? Yes, sir, yes. Uh, I'd like to see him, if I may. Ah, well, Mr. Lee is an invalid, you see, sir. He doesn't see many people now. Still, I'd be grateful if you could tell him I'm here. C could you give him this letter? So, you're Ed Fars, boy. Just a minute ago, I was thinking about him, remembering the old days. He told me you were partners out in Kimberley. And if I ever came over here, I was to look you up. Quite right, Mr. Farr. Good to see you. Now, this is my uh, granddaughter, Pilar Estrabadas. How do you do? I'm very pleased to make your acquaintance, Miss Estrabadas. Now, sit down. Tell me all about yourself. Are you in England for long? Oh, <laughs> I shan't hurry myself now I've got here. Quite right. You must spend Christmas with us. Unless you've got other plans. Well, no, I haven't, but I don't like... Oh, nonsense. You're one of the family, my boy. Think of yourself as that. I've been looking for you everywhere, David. What are you doing all by yourself in here? This was her piano. It's frightfully cold in this room. That's her chair. The chair she always sat in. Just the same. Do come out of here, David. It's so cold. It's still perfectly tuned. What is that? I seem to know it. I haven't played it for years. It's one of Mendelssohn's songs without words. She used to play it. Oh, play some Mozart, do. No. This was a particular favourite of hers. Uh, 
Now, listen, Horbury, I want the whole family to come up here after lunch, everybody. Yes, sir. And when you bring them along, make plenty of noise. I want to know when they're coming. And leave this door open. What is this, Horbury? Family council? Mr Lee was very emphatic. You should all be here. Hello. Ah, is that Charlton Hodgkin and Bruce? Uh... Come in, all of you, and sit yourselves down. Shan't be a minute. Thank you, Father. Now, is that you, Charlton? Uh, Simeon Lee speaking. Yes. No, no, I wanted you to make a new will for me. Oh, yes, some time since I made the other. Circumstances have altered. No, 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 no hurry. I don't plan to die just yet. Well, you're all looking very glum. What's the matter? Uh, You sent for us. Oh, nothing portentous about it. No, no, I'm just uh, rather tired today, that's all. None of you need come up after dinner. Let's go to bed. I want to be fresh for Christmas Day. Good old institution, Christmas. Promote solidarity of family feeling. (laughs) What do you think, Magdalene, my dear? Oh, um, yes. Uh, Now, let me see. Before George, uh, you lived with a retired naval officer. You're... uh, Father, I think you said. Don't suppose you made much of Christmas then. It needs a, a big family for that. Well, yes, perhaps it does. Well, I don't want to talk about anything unpleasant at this time of year, but you know, George, I'm afraid I'll have to cut down your allowance a bit. My establishment's going to cost me a bit more in future. Oh, look here, Father, you can't do that. Oh, but I can, George. Well, my expenses are very heavy already. As it is, I don't know how I make both ends meet. Well, let your wife do a bit. I'm sure she can work out some way to supplement your income, and she could save by making her own clothes. My wife, I remember, was clever with her needle... About all she was clever with. A good woman, but deadly dull. Don't you dare say a word against my mother. Now you sit down, boy. You'll knock something over. My mother was a saint. Your mother had the brains of a louse. And it seems to me she's transmitted her brains to her children. You're not worth a penny piece, any of you. I'm sick of you all. Call yourselves sons of mine. You're not men. You're a set of namby-pamby weaklings. Pilar's worth any two of you put together. I swear to heaven, I've got a better son somewhere in the world than any of you. Even if you were born the right side of the blanket. Oh, hold on, Father, that's a bit thick. The same goes for you, Harry. What have you ever done? Whine to me for money from all over the world? Oh, I tell you, I'm sick of the sight of you all. Go on, get out, get out, all of you. George, we are not coming here again. It's absolutely terrible the way you left. Just very Oh, well, and what is keeping you, Hilda? Why haven't you gone and out with the rest of them? When your letter came, I believed what you said, that you wanted your family around you for Christmas. I persuaded David to come. Well, what of it? You wanted your family around you so that you could abuse them and set them all by the ears. God help you if that's your idea of fun. (laughs) I always did have a specialised sense of humour. What's the matter? I'm afraid. Afraid of me? Not of you. I'm afraid for you. Superintendent Sugden. Oh, now, what can we do for you, sir? Oh, I've called to see Mr. Lee about a contribution to the police orphanage. He is expecting me. Ah, oh, well, then I'll take you up there, sir. Who was that at the door? Oh, it was the police. Quiet. 
Oh, mind what you're doing. All these years I've had the washing of those cups and never one broken. And now, what do you do? You come along touching things you're not business to touch and look what happened. I'm sorry, Mr. Tassilian. I don't know how it happened. What do the police want? Uh, collecting for the police orphanage. Oh, nothing but begging this time of the year. Well, bye now, Mr. Tresillian. I'm off to the pictures. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, enjoy yourself. Oh, anything be better than looking after that gloomy lot. Right, Merry Christmas there, going to have. All well, Superintendent? Mr. Lee was generous and cautious as ever. Good night, Mr. Tresillian. Good night, sir. Is everything in order, Willie? They've all gone in, Mr. Tresillian. Ah, right. Well, we'll serve dinner. Well, I don't know, Mr. Tresillian. It's more like a funeral than Christmas Eve. None of them speaking a word all through dinner. Everyone on edge. What's up with them all? I'll thank you not to criticise your betters, Willie. And I don't want to see you dropping fruit out of the bowl again. No, Mr. Tresillian. Yes, well, now I'd better collect the coffee cups. Oh, that'll be Mr. David. It's not a very jolly tune for Christmas, is it? That's the dead march, Willie. That's what that is. Good God. What's the master doing? I've never heard anything like it. Oh, my God. What's happening up there? Come on, let me try it. No, no, it's locked. It's locked. Let me try it. Father! Father, open the door. Let us in! Oh my god. The mills of guard grind slowly. Oh, we'd have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him. Thank the Lord you've come, Superintendent. I was just ringing for the police. Why wouldn't anyone open the door? What's going on here? It's old Mr. Lee, Superintendent. He's been done in. Nothing must be touched. Now, remember that. Touch nothing till the police arrive. That's most important. Excuse me, sir. Huh? If I could just come through. Oh, Superintendent, thank God you've got here so quickly. What's happened? And my father has been killed and murdered. Oh, Magdalene, put yourself together. Will everybody kindly leave the room except Mr. Alfred and uh, Mr. George Lee? Oh, that's right, Superintendent. Excuse me, miss. Nothing must be touched or disturbed. Of course not. She understands that. I was speaking to the lady, sir. You picked up something from the floor as I came in, didn't you, miss? I did. Yes, I saw you. So please give it to me. It's in your hand now. Here. Thank you. Sarah? Oh, a little. Thank you. Oh, it's good to see you here, Poirot. Particularly when we've nothing to do with ourselves in front of a blazing log fire. Oh. Nothing like a wood fire, I always say. Yes. At any rate, we shall be safe from crime during our stay. Oh, come, <laughs> Colonel, even my reputation. No, no, Poirot, Christmas time, the season of peace, good cheer and goodwill. Oh, the British, they are so sentimental. Well, what if we are? What if we do like the old days, the old traditional festivities? What's the harm? Oh, there is no harm. But let us for a moment examine the facts. <laughs> At Christmas, families who have been separated through the year assemble once more together. People who do not feel amiable are putting great pressure on themselves to appear amiable. 
If you dam the stream of natural behavior, mon ami, sooner or later the dam bursts and a cataclysm occurs. <laughs> I never know when you're serious and when you're pulling my leg, Poirot. I am not serious. Not in the least am I serious. But all the same, it is true what I say. Artificial conditions bring about their natural reaction. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yes, of course. Yes, Johnson here. Yes, Sugden, what is it? Simeon Lee? Good Lord. Yes, yes, I'll be over straight away. Well, that's made me eat my words. A case of murder on Christmas Eve. I must get over there as fast as I can. You wish that I should accompany you? Well, it seems a shame to ask you, but well, you know how it is. Sugden's a good man, painstaking, thoroughly sound, but, well, he's not a... Not an imaginative chap. I'd like the benefit of your advice. Yes, of course. It's murder, right enough. No doubt of that. Mr. Lee's throat was cut. But there's something very odd about the whole matter. What do you mean? Well, I'd like you to hear my story first, sir. Hmm? This afternoon at about five o'clock, I was rung up by Mr. Lee at Adelsfield Police Station. He seemed a bit odd over the phone... He asked me to come over and see him at 8 o'clock this evening, made a special point of the time. Moreover, he instructed me to say to the butler that I was collecting for the police orphanage. He wanted some plausible pretext to get you into the house. Well, that's right, sir. Mr Lee was seated by the fireplace in his room. He asked me to sit down near him. He then said, rather hesitatingly, that he wanted to give me particulars of a robbery. He said he had reason to believe that... Uncut diamonds to the value of several thousand pounds have been stolen from his safe. Diamonds, eh? Then he said, it's difficult to explain in detail, but so far as I can see, only two persons can actually have the stones. One of them might have done it as a joke. If the other person took them, then they have positively been stolen. I asked him what he wanted me to do. He said, I want you to return here in about an hour. At that time, I shall be able to tell you definitely whether I've been robbed or not. Well, I, I was a little mystified, but I agreed and went away. That's very curious. What do you think, Poirot? Well, may I ask, Superintendent, what conclusions you yourself drew? Well, various ideas occurred to me, but on the whole, I, I figured it out this way. He reckoned that one of those people was a servant, and the other was a member of the family. Très bien, yes, that explains his attitude very well. That was why he wanted me to return later. In, in the interval, he meant to have an interview with the person in question. Any idea who this member of the family might be? Oh, no, sir. So I returned to the house at uh, 9.15 precisely. Just as I was about to ring the front doorbell, I heard a scream from within the house and then a confused sound of general commotion. It was several minutes before the door was answered. I found Mr Lee's room in a state of wild confusion. Mr Lee was lying in front of the fire in a great pool of blood. Anyone in the room? Most of the family were there, sir. Just standing around. Hmm. Were the windows open or closed? One was closed and locked. The other was open a few inches at the bottom, but it was fixed in that position by a burglar screw. It's stuck fast and hasn't been open for years, I say. Also, the wall outside is quite smooth. No ivy or creepers. I don't see how anyone could have left that way. How many doors in the room? Just one. The door was locked on the inside. Nobody there except the old man who'd been killed no more than a few minutes previously. 
And there's no possibility of suicide? No, sir. Where's the weapon if it was? But you say the door was locked from the inside. Here's the key, sir. No fingerprints. Just take a close look at it. Oh, by Jove, yes, I see what you mean. Those faint scratches on the end of the barrel. Do you see, Poirot? Yes, yes, I see. But that means, does it not, that the key was turned from outside the door? Turned by means of a special implement that went through the keyhole and gripped the barrel. Yes, but that isn't so easy to manage. It suggests a professional to me. Well, following that up, it looks as though there were a professional thief among the servants. That would explain the diamonds being taken, and the, the murder would follow on logically from that. Well, is there anything wrong with the theory? Well, it's, it's, it's difficult. The servants are all local people who've been here for at least four years. The butler's been here for close on 40. The only person new to the house is Horbury, Mr Lee's valet attendant, and he was out of the house. Still is. Which leaves us with a family. Hmm. Well, I asked them all to stay in the drawing room until I was ready to take the statements. I see. Well, we'd better go upstairs and take a look at the body. Extraordinary. What is it, Poirot? Such a frail, shrunken old man, and yet all this. A chair and table overturned, broken glass, broken china. How did it all happen? And such a lot of blood. Funny. That's what Mrs Alfred said. What did she say? Something about who would have thought the old gentleman would have had so much blood in him. The words of Lady Macbeth. That is interesting. It has been a particular shock to my husband, to all of us, but particularly to him. Uh, terrible. Quite terrible. Uh, won't you sit down, both of you? Uh, thank you. Let me introduce Monsieur Hercule Poirot. Madame. How do you do, Monsieur Poirot? Uh, good evening. And Superintendent Sugden here will be taking notes. Right, sir. I'm afraid this will be painful for you, Mr. Lee, but I would like an account of what happened. Of course. When, for instance, did you last see your father? At about... Uh, a quarter to six. Hmm? I sat with him for a short time. He had expressed his intention of going to bed early. Now go on, please. We had our dinner at eight o'clock. Dinner was over and my wife and the other ladies had gone into the drawing room. We were sitting there at the table. Suddenly there was the most astounding noise overhead, chairs overturning, breaking glass and china. And then, my God, I can hear it still, a, a horrible, long, drawn-out scream, the scream of a man in mortal agony. Who was with you when you heard that cry? Uh, my brother was there. Uh, my brother, Harry. Where were the other gentlemen? It seems so long ago. Uh, what did happen? Oh, of course, Sir George had gone to telephone. Then we began to talk of family matters, and Stephen Farr said something about seeing we wanted to discuss things and took himself off. And your brother, David? Uh, da David. I, I don't quite know when he slipped away. Now, there's another point. I understand your father had valuable diamonds in his possession. Uh, yes, that is so. They were rough diamonds, uncut stones. Where did he keep them? In the safe in his room. Did you know, Mr Lee, that these stones had been stolen? What? Is that why he was killed? For the sake of the stones? Well, that's what we're going to find out. Who attended to the room? Horbury, his valet. The second housemaid goes in to do the grate and lay the fire every morning. Otherwise, he did everything. So, Horbury would be the person with the best opportunity. Yes. And where were you when the crime took place? In the drawing room. You heard the noise of the struggle? I think I heard something heavy fall. Of course, my father-in-law's room is over the dining room, not the drawing room, so I wouldn't hear much. But you heard the cry? 
Yes, I heard that. It was quite horrible. Like a soul in hell. Thank you, Mrs. Lee. It will be better, perhaps, if we interview the other members of the house party first. The ladies may want to get to bed. Come, Alfred. Shall I send them in to you, Colonel Johnson? Oh, yes, thank you. One by one, if you don't mind. Well, it was just after dinner. I was, I think, in this room. Yes, I just finished telephoning. I put through a call to my agent in Westringham, my constituency, some urgent party business. And it was just after that you heard the scream? Yes, mm. very unpleasant. It died away in a kind of choke or gurgle. Terrible business. It must have been the work of a lunatic. Were you aware that your father kept a quantity of valuable, uncut diamonds in his bedroom? Yes, a most unwise procedure. I often told him so. He might have been murdered for them. I, I mean, that is to say... Um... Are you aware that the stones have disappeared? Then he was murdered for them? He was aware of their loss and reported it to the police some hours before his death. But then I don't understand. We, too, do not understand. The old man was delighted I'd come home. Pretty boring for him cooped up here with Alfred. <laughs> my father had been a bit of a rip in his time. He was looking forward to my company. When did you last see your father this evening? After tea. He just had a row with Alfred about your humble servant. <laughs> the old man was no end but with himself. He liked stirring up trouble. <laughs> That's why he talked about altering his will. So your father mentioned his will? Yes, in front of the whole lot of us, watching us like a cat to see how we reacted. What changes did he contemplate making? Well, he didn't tell us that. I imagine, <laughs> or I should say I hoped, that the change would be to the advantage of your humble servant. Pilar, too. He'd taken a fancy to her. Well, he's dead now. No wills will be altered in Pilar's favour, nor mine either. Worse luck. <laughs> Where were you at the time of your father's death? In the dining room with Brother Alfred. Not a very harmonious after-dinner session. <laughs> we were in the middle of a pretty sharp argument when we heard the noise overhead. And then poor old father screamed. It's like killing a pig. Killing a pig? Yes. We started upstairs, but the door was locked. Had to break it down. How the devil it came to be locked, I can't imagine. When we got up to his room, he was speaking to his lawyers about his will. And then he told Alfred he was looking very glum. Alfred was very upset because of Harry coming home to live. And then Mr. Lee said something about his late wife. She had the brains of a louse, he said. And David sprang up and looked as though he'd like to murder him. Oh, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it at all. No, quite so, quite so. A figure of speech, that's all. Yes. Now, where were you at the time of the crime? I think I was in the drawing room. Aren't you sure? Of course. How stupid of me. I'd gone to telephone. In here? Yes. It's the only telephone, except the one upstairs in my father-in-law's room. Was anyone else in here with you? Oh, no. I was quite alone. I see. And then? And then? There was that awful scream. Oh, it was like a nightmare. I shall always remember it. Well, I think that's all for the present. Thank you. Well, we're getting at some of it now. George Lee was telephoning when he heard the scream. His wife was telephoning when she heard it. Now, which of them is lying? What do you think, Sugden? I don't want to speak offensively of the lady, but I should say that she'd be first class at getting money out of a gentleman, but I don't think she'd cut a gentleman's throat. Uh -huh, but one never knows more yet. What do you think, Poirot? I would say that the character of the late Signor Lee begins to emerge for us. It is there, I think, that the whole importance of the case lies, in the character of the dead man. 
I don't quite understand you, Mr Poirot. I am telling you that because Simeon Lee was a certain kind of man. He set in motion certain forces which, in the end, brought about his death. So, Mr David, did your father mention his late wife at all? Yes, he did. He insulted her. Your mother has been dead for some years. She died when I was a boy. She was not, uh, perhaps, uh, very happy in her life here? <laughs> Who could be happy with a man like my father? My mother was a saint. Your father was, perhaps, distressed by her death? I don't know. I left home. Before this visit, I had not seen my father for 20 years. And where were you at the time of the murder? Uh, I could see that Alfred and Harry were going to quarrel, so I slipped away to the music room and played the piano. Which is next to the drawing room? Yes. I played there for some time, and then I heard the noise from upstairs and my father screaming like a soul in hell. God, it was awful. Were you alone in the music room? No. My wife, Hilda, was there. He wanted to stir up strife. Why else would he have brought us all together? And why did he arrange for us to hear him saying he was going to make a new will? Are you sure he did that deliberately? Oh, I'm certain of it. Hmm. So that, really, he may not have meant to alter his will at all? No, I think that part of it was quite genuine. He probably did wish to make a new will, but he enjoyed underlining the fact. Now, Mrs Lee, I'd be grateful if you would tell us what you were doing when the crime occurred. I was with my husband in the music room. Hmm? And then? We heard tables and chairs overturned upstairs and... Then that awful scream. Like a soul in hell. It was worse than that. What do you mean, madame? It was like someone who had no soul. It was inhuman, like a beast. So you have judged him, madame. Had your mother spoken to you of your grandfather much, Mrs. Estrovardus? She said he was an old devil. <laughs> and um, what did you think of him? Of course, he was very, very old. He had to sit in a chair, and his face was all dried up. But I liked him all the same. I think that when he was a young man, he must have been handsome. Very handsome, like you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like Superintendent Sugden. Well, well. Did your grandfather ever tell you that he had diamonds in the safe in his room? Yes, he showed them to me. But they were not like diamonds. They were just like pebbles. Mrs. Travardus, did you know that those diamonds had been Stolen? Stolen? Mm. Now, I understand that all the family came up to your grandfather's room in the afternoon and that some angry words passed. Yes, it was great fun. Grandfather made them so angry. Do you remember what was said? I am not sure. Grandfather said they were all no good. He said I was better than any of them. Where were you when the crime occurred? I went up to my room to do my face. I was going to dance again with Stephen. And, and far away I heard a scream and everyone was running and I went too. Did you go into the room? Oh, yes. Grandfather was lying in a great pool of blood. Did anyone say anything? David said such a funny thing. He, he said, in mills of God. What does that mean? Oh, it's, it's an English proverb, my dear. Well, I don't think there's anything more, Mrs. Tavares. Nothing more? Then I shall go to bed. Good night. Good night, ma'am. Good night, Good night. Hmm. The mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceeding small. And David Lee said that. Hmm. Who's left, Superintendent? Stephen Farr. The only one who's not family. After the ladies had left the dining room, I stayed and had a glass of port. I realised that the Lees had family business they wanted to discuss, so excused myself and left them. And what did you do then? Well, there's a room with a gramophone, sort of a little ballroom. I played some dance records. It was possible, perhaps, that uh, someone might 
join you there? Hmm? <laughs> One always hopes. Ah. And did Senorita Estravadas join you there? I am afraid not. Ah. I was still there when I heard the rumpers and ran hell for leather to see what was the matter. I helped Harry break the door down. And is that all you have to tell us? Absolutely all, I'm afraid. You've no knowledge of anyone Simeon Lee had done a bad turn to out in Africa? He had enemies, of course. Must have had, but I don't know of any specific case. Except perhaps yourself, Mr. Farr. You think I came to revenge some injury against my father? Um. Well, there's nothing doing there. Simeon and Ebenezer had nothing against each other. No, 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 we're not accusing you of anything, Mr. Farr. I didn't much care for the tone of Mr. Potter's voice. Well, that is unfortunate. Thank you, Mr. Farr. That'll be all for the present. You will, of course, not leave the house. Well, there's nowhere much to go. And tomorrow's Christmas Day. Hmm. There goes X, the unknown quantity. His story seems straightforward enough, but that gramophone out the way isn't too good. My dear friend, compare the physique of Stephen Farr with that of Simeon Lee. Simeon Lee couldn't possibly have put up a fight against him. Can you imagine that that frail old man and that magnificent specimen of humanity struggled for some minutes overturning furniture and breaking china? You mean that it was a, a weak man who killed Simeon Lee? Or a woman? Hmm. Ah. Well, there's nothing much more that I can do here. You've got things well in hand, Sugden. Oh, we ought to see that old butler fellow just to confirm that everyone was where they said they were at the time of the murder. Such a violent thing to happen, sir, in this house, where everything has always gone on so quietly, you know. It was a well-ordered house, but not a happy one. Well, I wouldn't like to say that, sir. In the days when the family was at home, it was happy then. It wasn't perhaps what one would call very harmonious, sir. Oh. And Mr. Harry, what was he like? Oh, always rather a wild young gentleman, sir, but good-hearted, you know. Gave me quite a turn, it did, when the bell rang, and then again, so impatiently. And I opened the door, and there was a strange man. And then Mr. Harry's voice said, Hello, Tresillian. Still here, eh? Just the same as ever. It must have been a strange feeling. It seems sometimes, sir, as though the past isn't the past, you know. There's a the feeling that comes over you, you, as though you'd done it all before. Yes. Yes, it, it just seems to me as though the bell rings, and I go to answer it, and there's Mr. Harry even if it should be Mr. Farr or some other person. I'm just saying to myself, you see, that I've done this before. Oh, that is interesting, very interesting. Well, we just want to get the various times checked correctly. Now, when the noise started, I understand that only Mr. Alfred Lee and Mr. Harry Lee were in the dining room. Is that so? I really couldn't tell you, sir. All the gentlemen were there when I served coffee to them, but that would be about a quarter of an hour earlier. Mr. George Lee was telephoning. Now, can you confirm that? I think somebody did telephone, sir. The bell rings in my pantry, and when anybody takes the receiver off to call a number... There's a faint noise on the bell. I do remember hearing that. You don't know where anyone else was? Uh, Mr. David, I think, was playing the pianoforte in the music room. Uh, you heard him? Oh, yes, yes. It was like a sign, sir, so I felt afterward. It, it was the dead march he was playing. Mm, even at the time, I remember, it gave me the creeps. It is curious, yes. Now, about this fellow, Horbury, the valet, are you definitely prepared to swear that he was out of the house by eight o'clock? Oh, yes, oh, yes. It was just after Mr. Sugden here arrived. I remember particularly because he broke a coffee cup. Horbury 
broke a coffee cup? Yes, sir. One of the old Worcester ones. He'd no business to have been handling it at all. He was holding it up, admiring it, and I happened to mention that Mr. Sugden had called, and he dropped it. Did you say Mr. Sugden, or did you mention the police? Well, I come to think of it, sir, I mentioned that the police superintendent had called. Hmm. Did Horbury ask any questions about the superintendent's visit? Yes, sir, yes. He told me he'd come collecting for the police orphanage. And did Horbury seem relieved when you said that? Do you know, sir, now you mention it, he certainly did. Hmm. And then he left? Yes, sir, yes. He passed through the kitchen where the cook and the kitchen maid saw him and through the back door. Is there any means by which Horbury could return to the house without anyone seeing him? Oh, I don't see how he could have done it, sir, no. All the doors are locked and bolted on the inside. How does he get in when he comes? Oh, he has a key to the back door, sir. But he could have returned that way, then? Not without passing through the kitchen, sir. And the kitchen, you see, would be occupied till well after half past nine. Hmm. Well, that seems conclusive. Thank you, Tresillian. Thank you, sir. Mm. Oh, has Horbury returned yet, do you know? Uh, he came in just as you called me, sir. Good. Then we'll have him in. I left the house just before eight, sir. I went to the electric, sir. It's within easy walking distance. Love in old Seville was the picture, sir. Anyone who saw you there? Uh, the young lady in the box office, sir. She knows me. And uh, as a matter of fact, I was with a young lady, sir. I met her there by appointment. Doris Buckle, sir. She works in the combined dairies. Well, you can give all those particulars to Mr. Sugden later. What I want to know is this. At what time did you last see Mr. Lee this evening? It was about half past seven, sir. I went in to take away his supper tray and to put out the sherry and two glasses on the bureau. Why did you do that? Mr. Lee's orders. Was that usual? Sometimes. It was the rule that none of the family came in to see Mr. Lee in the evening unless he invited them. And had he invited anyone this evening? I don't know, sir. He hadn't sent any message by me, but he might have asked one of them personally. Hmm. Now, there's something more we want to know, Horbury. Sir. What can you tell us about the diamonds Mr. Lee kept in his safe? Oh, diamonds, sir? I never saw any diamonds. Mr. Lee kept a quantity of uncut stones there. You must have seen him handling them. <laughs> oh, those funny little pebbles, sir. Yes, I did see him with them once or twice, but I didn't know they were diamonds. He was showing them to the foreign young lady well, yesterday. Those, those stones have been stolen. Well, I hope you don't think so that I had anything to do with it. That remains to be seen. That'll do. Sean wants you again tonight. Uh, yes, sir. Good night, sir. Thank you, sir. An unprepossessing person. The question is, what do we think of his evidence? Well, say he took the diamonds, mm -hmm. gathered from the old man's mouth that he was suspected, made his plans accordingly, went out ostentatiously at eight o'clock and cooked up an alibi. Easy enough to slip out of a cinema and return here unnoticed. Mm. Well, I think we'll call it a night. Ah, good morning, Mrs. Lee. It scarcely seems appropriate to say Merry Christmas, does it? Uh, not here, at any rate. Oh. Well, they at least don't seem very concerned. Who, madame? Pilar and Mr. Farr walking down by the lake. She seems extraordinarily self-possessed. It's all very odd, isn't it? What is odd, madame? Well, the way she turned up here, out of the blue. I believe that Mr. Lee had been searching for her for some time. He had been in correspondence with the vice-consul at Alicara, where her mother died. You know, Monsieur Perrault, there's some story connected with Jennifer's husband, Estravados. Uh, something about him stabbing a man in a cafe in a brawl over a woman. He died quite soon afterwards. George feels the family ought to have been told more about the girl's antecedents. After all, if her father was a criminal, 
And the Spanish are cruel, aren't they? All those bullfights. You are saying that, in your opinion, Senorita Estravadas cut her grandfather's throat? Oh, no, Monsieur Perrault. I never said anything of the kind. Well, perhaps you did not. But I do think that she is, well, a suspicious person. The furtive way she picked up something from the floor of the room last night, for instance. She picked up something from the floor? Yes. As soon as we got into the room, she gave a quick glance round to see if anyone was looking and then pounced on it. But the superintendent saw her, I'm glad to say, and made her give it up. What was it she picked up? Do you know, madame? No, I wasn't near enough to see. It was quite small. Ah, but here's Mr. Sugden. He'll be able to tell you. I'd better see if I can help Lydia in any way. I suppose we must make some attempt at Christmas lunch. Good morning, Mr. Poirot. Ah. I, uh, I won't say a Merry Christmas. No, please. Are you making any progress? Aubrey's alley boy's holding water. The commissioner at the cinema saw him go in with the girl and saw him come out with her at the end of the performance and seemed positive he couldn't have left and returned during the performance. The girl swears he was with her in the cinema all the time. I hardly see, then, what there is to say. Well, that's just it. It brings us right back to the people in the house. Clearly one of them did it, but which? You have no new data? Yes, I've checked up on the telephone calls. Mr George Lee put through a call to Westringham at two minutes to nine. That call lasted under six minutes. Ah. Just so. Moreover, no other call was put through to Westringham or anywhere else. Ah, very interesting, yes. Mr. George Lee says that he has just finished telephoning when he hears the noise overhead. But actually, he had finished telephoning nearly ten minutes before that. Mrs. George Lee says that she was telephoning, but actually she never put through a call at all now. What were they doing? Oh, I noticed you were talking to her just now. <laughs> ah, you are in error. Hmm? I was not talking to her. She was talking to me. <laughs> ah. And what does she have to say? She wanted to draw my attention to the un-Englishness of the crime and possibly criminal nature of the father of Senorita Estravadas and the fact that she had furtively picked something up from the floor last night. She told you that, did she? Yes. What was it she picked up? Well, if you can make anything out of it, I'll retire from the police force. I'll show it to you. There you are. A piece of rubber and a small wooden peg. What do you make of it? This little piece of stuff might have been cut from a sponge bag. It was. It comes from a sponge bag in Mr. Lee's room. Somebody cut a small triangular piece out of it. Mr. Lee might have done it himself, for all I know. As for the peg, it's just well, rough wood, whittled out of a bit of deal, I'd say. Most remarkable. They don't mean anything at all to you? I must confess, nothing whatever. Mm. Well, let's get down to the facts. To begin with, there are the people who couldn't have done it. And they are? Well, Alfred and Harry Lee. They've got a definite alibi. And the others? Well, I've made out a list. At the time of the crime, David Lee was playing the piano in the music room, confirmed by his wife. Mrs. David Lee was in the music room, confirmed by her husband. Miss Estrafadas was in her bedroom, no confirmation... Stephen Farr was playing records in the ballroom, confirmed by three of the staff who could hear the music in the servants' hall. And Mr and Mrs George Lee are simply two question marks. Hmm. So much for opportunity. Now, let's consider motive. There again, we can wash out certain people. Miss Estevardas, for one. 
As the will stands, she doesn't gain anything at all. It seems unlikely, therefore, that she has anything to do with the crime, except that you might argue that to cut a man's throat is an un-English sort of thing to do, as your friend Mrs George put it. Oh, do not call her my friend, or I shall speak of your friend, Miss Estravados, who finds you such a handsome man. <laughs> Steady on, Mr Poirot. Oh, it is true, it is true. Your moustache is superb. <laughs> tell me, tell me. Uh, do you use for it a special pomade? Good Lord, no. Just crows. Oh, you are favoured by nature. Every night I have to use the pomade. Uh, yeah, well, uh, now, um, Harry Lee had every opportunity for keeping the old man alive in the hope that he'd make a new will. You see, we're getting on. Oh, how true. Very soon there will be nobody left. We've still got George Lee and his wife and Miss and Mrs David Lee. They all benefit by the death. And George Lee, from all I can make out, is grasping about money. Moreover, his father was threatening to cut down supplies. So, we've got George Lee with motive and opportunity. And David Lee? Well, he, he doesn't strike me as the mercenary type. As I see it, there are three possible motives for this murder. The diamond complication, the will, and there's, well, just plain hate. Ah, you see that, do you? If David Lee killed his father, it might explain the, well, the bloodletting. So much blood. It takes me back to ancient rituals, to blood sacrifice, to the anointing with the blood of the sacrifice. Mm. Well, I'm going back to the house. Are you coming, Mr Poirot? Uh, no, no, not for the moment, Superintendent. I shall walk for a while on the terrace. Well, there's no doubt about it. There, the diamonds, all right. See for yourself, sir. And where did you say you found them, Poirot? In one of the small gardens on the terrace, constructed by Mrs Alfred Lee. Mrs Alfred? Doesn't seem likely. One would not easily believe her a thief, no. Anybody could have hidden them there. Well, that is true. It was convenient that in that particular garden, the Dead Sea, there happened to be pebbles very similar in shape and appearance. It was an ideal place for whoever took the diamonds. Mm. Well, we'd better get on. Anything fresh to report, Sugden? There's some new information about Horbury. A reason why he might be scared of the police. Oh, what's that? Extorting money under threats. Modified blackmail. The case couldn't be proved, so he got off, but I rather fancy he's got away with a thing or two in that line. That's why he got the wind up when Tresillian mentioned a police officer on the night of the murder. Hmm, so much for Horbury. Anything else? Um, Mrs George, Lee, so we've... Hmm? Uh, we've got a line on her before a marriage. Was living with a Commander Jones, passed as his daughter, but she wasn't his daughter. I think, from what we've been told, that old Mr Lee summed her up pretty correctly and was just amusing himself by taking a shot in the dark and he got her on the raw. That gives her another possible motive. She may have thought he knew something definite and was going to give her away to her husband. Why not have them in together, sir, and get that telephone business straight? Yeah, good idea. You put through a call to Westringham, I think you said, Mr Lee. Yes, I did. To my agent of the constituency. I can refer you to him. Uh, we're not disputing the point. Your call went through at 8.59, exactly. And it was terminated at 9.04. Your father, Mr Lee, was killed about 9.15. Oh. 
I must ask you once more for an account of your movements. I told you, I was telephoning. No, Mr Lee, you weren't. Well, I just finished, and I was wondering whether to make another call. You could hardly debate whether or not to make a telephone call for ten minutes. Are you doubting my word? The word of a man in my position? Colonel Johnson, do you countenance this attitude? In a murder case, Mr Lee, these questions must be asked and answered. Well, I have answered. I was debating a further call. And you were in this room when the alarm was raised? I was. Yes, I was. I think, Mrs Lee, that you stated that you were telephoning when the alarm broke out and that at the time you were alone in this room. I don't know. I don't remember what I said. I was so upset. We've got it all written down, you know. Of course I telephoned. I just can't be sure Well, where, where did you telephone from? Not in here. I suggest, Mrs Lee, that you didn't telephone at all. Oh, George! Don't let them bully me. You peace. know how upset I get when anyone goes on at me and frightens me. Peace. I can't remember anything at all. I'm being so busy to me. Oh, it's disgraceful. I went about bullied and frightened out of a life. I saw a question asked in the house about police methods. It's, it's, it's disgraceful. <laughs> We've got them going properly. She'll be back in a minute when she's decided what to say. <laughs> well, it certainly looks very fishy. What's the matter, Poirot? Seen a ghost? You know, I'm not sure that I have not done just exactly that. Excuse me, gentlemen. What did I say? Oh, come in, my dear. Thank you. My husband thinks I've gone to my room. Colonel Johnson, mm -hmm. if I tell you the truth, you will keep quiet about it, won't you? I mean, you don't have to make everything public, do you? You mean something that has no connection with the crime? Yes, no connection at all. Just something in my... my private life. You tell me what you have to say and I'll be the judge. Hmm? You see, it's like this. There's somebody... I wanted to telephone somebody last night. A man. A friend of mine. And I didn't want George to know about it. So I went to the telephone after dinner when I thought George would be safely in the dining room. But when I got here, I heard him telephoning, so I waited. Where did you wait, madame? Well, there's a place for coats and things behind the stairs. I slipped back there where I could see George come out of this room. But he didn't come out. And then all the noise happened, and Mr Lee screamed, and I ran upstairs. So your husband did not leave this room until the moment of the murder? No. And you yourself, from 9 o'clock to 9.15, were waiting in the recess behind the stairs? Yes, but I, I couldn't say so, you see... It's been very, very awkward for me. You do see that, don't you? Yes, it was certainly awkward. Oh, I'm so relieved to have told you the truth. And you won't tell my husband, will you? I'm sure I can trust all of you. Hmm. Well, it might have been like that. It's a perfectly plausible story. On the other hand, I... It might not. We just don't know. <laughs> there's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's something I've been meaning to ask you. What is it? When I first came here, when I saw you in Simeon's room, why didn't you mention we'd met before? <laughs> because I did not know why you had come here. I thought perhaps you had come to see me. Mes enfants, mes enfants, you are disturbing my concentration. I wanted to dance to the gramophone, but uh, Stephen said it was wrong for a house of mourning. It sounded so strange. Oh, but we, we tried to muffle it as best we could with a scarf and a pair of stockings. It is silly to pretend to be sad. Come out into the gallery. I want to show you something. Come. You see? 
a portrait of Simeon Lee when he was a young man. But how very different he looks. Like Harry might have been ten years ago. Mm. And now here, here is Madame, your grandmother. Very blonde hair, mild blue eyes. Like David. Yes. The heredity, it is very interesting. And you, you see here, this lady with golden hair and blue eyes. Oh, my mother. I have her portrait here in my locket. Mm-hmm. Mm. And is that your father? Uh, yes. What beautiful blue eyes. Few Spaniards have the blue eyes, I think, senorita. Sometimes, in north. Besides, my father's mother was Irish. Ah, yes. And, and that reminds me, senorita, your passport. It is needed by my friend, the superintendent, these tiresome police regulations. It is in my room. I will go up and get it. Ah. Mr. Farr, there is something I wish to discuss with you. Will you come along with me to the scene of the crime? Yes, of course. Now, these two statues standing just by Simeon Lee's door, they seem to have a particular regard for their virtue. Hmm? You see how they clasp their draperies to their breasts? Mm. I noticed them two nights ago when we all dashed up to the old man's room, but I thought there were three then. That must have been a trick of the light. Well, all cats are grey in the dark. Ah, Superintendent. Mr. Poirot? Yes. I would be grateful if you would do me a small favour. Senorita Estravadas has gone to her room to get her passport for you. Could you go there to receive it? Hmm? And it, uh, make sure the rest of the family are somewhere nearby. You remember our little arrangement? Oh, I haven't forgotten. Come Mr. Farr. Let us go in. You have the memories, yes? I have the memories, Mr. Poirot. Only two days ago he was sitting in that chair, but I don't imagine you brought me here to talk about my memories. Well, in a way, you were in the little ballroom, I think, when Mr. Lee was killed. That's right. You did not hear the scream, I think you said. I don't think I did. Somebody did cry out, but that may have been somebody downstairs. You did not hear a noise like this? Do you think you're doing? Do you want to scare the whole house? They'll think somebody else has been killed. <laughs> no, it's just... <laughs> it's just a little experiment, Mr. Farr, but uh, let us continue. You were, I think, the first person to arrive on the scene that night. Was I? I don't remember. No, I, I think one of the ladies was here before me. Which lady? One of the wives, George's wife, or David's. What the hell's going on? Uh, what, what, it happened? is nothing, right, nothing. Do not be alarmed. A little experiment that Why I made. What is everybody rushing about? Uh, What's going on? You were with the senorita? Yes. And you did not hear me scream? Not a sound. That is all I wanted to know. You may all go now. That's the trouble with these chaps from across the channel. Quite unstable. Yes, yeah, steady, George. You're quite right. Oh, uh, Madam Lee, could I have a little word? Yes, what is it? Tell me, huh. is there a shop in Adelsfield where one can buy, how you say it, a uh, fancy dress, wigs, beards? Hmm? Yes, Monsieur Poirot, there is. What is it you're looking for? Something to surprise you all with, madame, that is all. Pillar, what's the matter? They have had a reading of the will. I've got nothing, nothing at all. It was a will made many years ago. My grandfather left money to my mother. 
But because she is dead, it does not go to me, but goes back to them. That seems rather hard lines. That fat George, he was very pleased. Oh, I'm sure that Alfred and Lydia will look after you. That would not be amusing. Oh, it is all so dreary. And I came here because I had been told that at Christmas, will the English enjoy themselves. Not if they've got a little matter like a murder to cope with. But uh, here, 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 you see? These are all the things that Lydia was bringing out for Christmas. Gold and silver balls with a tree, boxes of crackers, balloons. Balloons? Oh, I love balloons. Can we blow one up? Lydia would not mind. Here we go. <laughs> you look so funny with your cheeks puffed out. Here. Put it back to me. Here. So, you play les jeux d'enfants. It is pretty, that. It is gone. Poor balloon. Uh -huh. So that is what I picked up on my grandfather's floor. He too had a balloon. Only his was a pink one. What is the matter, Monsieur Poirot? Nothing, senorita, nothing at all. Lunch is just ready, Mr. Farr. Oh, Pilar, my dear. Everything has been settled quite satisfactorily. Alfred will explain the exact details to you after lunch. Shall we go in? Ah, oh, Mr. Poirot, I'd like a quiet word with you. Of course, Superintendent. I've uh, received a cable from the South African police. Here. Ebenezer Farr's only son died two years ago. So now we know. Oh, indeed we do. But one thing I beg you, do not question Mr. Farr until I give you the word. There is one more thing I need to do. Lydia, I have to talk to you. What's the matter, my child? I will not take that money. I am going away at once. Oh, my dear, Alfred must have explained it very badly. It's not in the least a matter of charity, if that's what's troubling you. It's a plain matter of right and wrong. In the ordinary course of events, your mother would have inherited this money, and you would have come into it from her. It's your right, your blood right. And that is why I cannot take it. I enjoyed coming here. It was an adventure. But now it has been spoiled. I am going away at once. No one is going anywhere at the moment, mademoiselle. There are a few questions that Mr. Poirot and I have to put to you. Uh, Tresillian said you wanted to speak to me. What is it? Sit down, Mr. Farr. We'll get to you in a moment. Senorita Estrovadas, I would like you to tell us where you were at the time of the murder. But I have told you. I was in my room. Yes, but you weren't speaking the truth when you told us that. You could not have heard the scream from your room. That was the point of my little experiment. I will tell you where I think you were, senorita. You were in the recess with the statues of the nymphs, quite close to your grandfather's door. How did you know? Mr. Farr saw you there. I never saw any such thing. I ask your pardon, Mr. Farr, but you did see her. Remember your impression that there were three statues in the recess, not two. Senorita Estravadas was the third statue you saw. Is that not so? Yes. Yes, it is true. So, now you will tell us what you were doing there. After dinner, I I thought I would go up to see my grandfather. But when I turned into the passage, I saw someone else at the door. I did not want to be seen because my grandfather had said he did not want to see anyone that night. So I hid myself with these statues. Who was it, you say, you saw at the door? I don't know who it was. There was not enough light to see. But it was a woman. Very well, senorita. Sit down. The rest of the family will be here in a moment. We are going to have a little conference. Please, be seated, everyone. It won't take long. 
This is very irregular, Poirot. Getting everyone together like this? It is a little idea of mine. I wish to share with everyone the knowledge that I have acquired. I shall then invite their collaboration, and so we shall get at the truth. Now, uh, to begin with, Superintendent, you have an explanation to ask of Mr. Farr. Well, I should have preferred a less public moment. However, Mr. Farr, we received this cable from South Africa a little while ago. Perhaps you can explain it. I see what you mean. It's pretty damning, isn't it? Is that all you've got to say? You understand there's no obligation you on You needn't to... caution me, Superintendent. I'll give you an explanation. It's not a very good one, but it's the truth. Oh, please, enlighten us. I'm not Ebenezer Farr's son, but I did know both son and oh. father quite well. My name is actually Stephen Grant. I arrived in this country the other day for the first time in my life... I knew this was where Simeon Lee lived and that he had been Ebenezer Farr's partner. Go on. Well, the idea occurred to me to come here and pretend I was Eb's son. As you now know, he had died two years ago, but I remembered old Eb saying he'd not heard from Simeon Lee for many years, so I thought I'd risk it. It worked like a charm. And I got to know Senorita Estravados. You can cable to South Africa and check up on me. You'll find I'm a perfectly respectable citizen. I'm not a crook or a jewel thief. I never believed you were. Now I think Miss Estravadas has something to say. I would never have told you, but for Lydia Ranimani. To come here and pretend an act out part, that was fun. But when Lydia said I should have Imani, that was different. It was not fun any longer. It was cheating. My dear young lady, what on earth are you talking about? Pila Estravados was killed when I was driving with her in a car in Spain. Oh, I was not touched. I did not know her very well, but she had told me all about herself and how her grandfather had sent for her to go to England and that he was very rich. I had no money. And I thought suddenly, why should I not take Pila's passport and go to England and become very rich? But how did you find out, Monsieur Poirot? Mademoiselle... If you have studied the laws of Mendel, you would know that two blue-eyed people are not likely to have a brown-eyed child. I think there's a good deal more you haven't told us. I suggest that it was you who had stolen the diamonds and that your grandfather had sent for you. He accused you of the theft. Perhaps he tumbled to the fact that you weren't his granddaughter. You slashed at him with a knife. This is not true. I did not steal the diamonds. I did not kill him. Of course she killed him. I always said an outsider killed my father. It is preposterous to pretend that one of the family would do a thing like that. And yet, that is what did happen. What? Signor Lee was killed by his own flesh and blood for what seemed to the murderer to be a very good and sufficient reason. One of us! Who are you to suggest There is a case against every person here. You, Mr. George Lee, you had no love for your father. He had threatened to cut your allowance that very day. absolutely refuse Your wife, too, had a motive. She is, I think, in debt. And the tone of certain of your father's remarks may, well, may have caused her uneasiness. She said she went to telephone, but we know that she did not do so. And then there is Mr. David here. He did not forget or forgive the way his father had treated his mother. He is supposed to have been playing the piano at the time of the murder, the Dead March. But... Suppose somebody else was playing the dead march, somebody who knew what he was going to do and approved his action. That is an infamous suggestion. All right, Monsieur Poirot. 
What about Alfred and me? We were together in the dining room at the time of the murder. Ah, suppose it is all part of a clever plot. One of you remains in the dining room, talking and quarrelling aloud as though there were two of you, while the other goes upstairs and kills the old man. This is preposterous. Do you really mean to tell me? I have to show you the possibilities. These are the things that might have happened. Then there are the circumstances of the crime itself. A heavy table and a heavy chair are overturned in a struggle involving a frail old man. He was fighting for his life, Poirot. Ah, there are so many things which did not fit. Why was the door locked from the outside? What was the meaning of the piece of rubber and the peg found on the floor? Why did Simeon Lee first report the theft and then ask the superintendent to return later? Why not simply ask him to wait downstairs? And I say to myself, this is all wrong. We are looking at it from the angle the murderer wants us to. Look, Poirot, how much longer do we have to sit here while you air your theories? Not much longer, my friend. For, at this stage, I got my first glimmer of light. Mrs. Alfred Lee quoted a line of Macbeth. Who would have thought the old man to have so much blood in him? And there was too much blood, a crime of blood. It is Simeon Lee's own blood that rises up against him. The second valuable clue came from Tresillian. You remember what you said about answering the door? That it had all happened before. Now, yes, why did you have that feeling? Look at Mr. Harry Lee and Stephen Farr, and you will see why. They are astoundingly alike. That was why opening the door to Stephen Farr was just like opening the door to Harry Lee. Now, you remember that outburst of Simeon Lee, that he would swear he had better sons born the wrong side of the blanket. Simeon Lee had not only his legitimate family in his house, but an unacknowledged and unrecognized son of his own blood. And that was your real reason for coming here, wasn't it, eh? You were coming to see what kind of a man your father was. Yes. Uh, I've always wondered. Mother spoke about him sometimes. It grew into a kind of obsession with me. I wasn't going to let him know who I was. I just wanted to see the man who was my father. Lord, I've been blind. I can see it now. So, Miss Estravadas, or whatever her real name is, was lying. It wasn't a woman she saw standing outside the door. It was you. And she didn't want to give you away. No. You're wrong. It was me she saw. Your mother? Yes, I thought so. I was frightened. David playing the dead march. I I knew I shouldn't have insisted on her coming here. I meant to go and tell Mr. Lee that we were going to leave at once. I went up to his room and knocked on the door. And I heard a sound inside the room. Tables and chairs overturned and that one last horrible cry. I couldn't move. And then the others came along and they broke the door down and found Mr. Lee... There was no one else there. And no one had come out of the room. And all this time you have said nothing? I thought you'd think it was I who killed him. No. You did not kill him. His son killed him. I swear, before God, I never touched him. Not you. He had other sons. What are you driving at? No wonder 
poor Tresilian felt confused when he answered the door not to two, but to three men who resembled each other closely, who at a little distance could pass for each other. Yet the similarity was not always easy to see, for the third man had a moustache. But apart from you, Monsieur Poirot, the only man who has a moustache is... All your life, Sugden, you've resented the wrong your father did you. I think you determined long ago to kill him. A police superintendent has a grand opportunity of committing a murder and getting away with it. What? You're mad! <laughs> I was outside the house when he was killed. No. You killed him before you left the house the first time. It was you who rang him up and spoke vaguely about an attempt at robbery. You came here and told him a tale about substituted diamonds. He opened his safe to show you the real diamonds were still in his possession. You cut his throat, holding your hand to his mouth so that he wouldn't cry out. Child's play to a man of your physique. But I heard the struggle. I heard him scream. Ah, it was all part of a carefully planned illusion. You piled up tables and chairs, lamps and glasses, and twined a very thin cord in and out between them. Then you passed the two ends of the cord out through the narrow slit at the bottom of the window and let them hang down the wall. You had with you a bottle of some freshly killed animal's blood to which you had added a quantity of sodium citrate. You sprinkled this about freely because, to satisfy some primitive instinct, you wanted the murder to look like a ritual sacrifice. So when we all sat down to dinner, Father was already dead? Exactly. You hid the diamonds in Lydia's Dead Sea Garden. A little before 9.15, you returned, and going up to the wall, you pulled on the cord. That dislodged the furniture and the china, which fell with a crash. You pulled one end of the cord and rewound it round your body under your coat. But I distinctly heard him scream. Ah, like the cry of someone you said who had no soul. Yes. Inhuman, like a beast. Yes. But it was Harry Lee who came nearest to the truth. It sounded like killing a pig? Mm, just so. Do you know those long bladders with faces on them called dying pigs? As the air rushes out, they give forth an inhuman wail. You arrange one in the room and stop the mouth of it with a peg connected to the cord. So, on top of the falling furniture came the scream of a dying pig. Oh. Yes, but after the superintendent took the remains of the bladder from you, he substituted a piece cut from Mr. Lee's sponge bag. It answered to the same description. And it was not until you were playing with a balloon that burst and you said that it must have been a burst balloon you had picked up from Simeon's room that I saw the truth. And all because I played with a balloon. Yes, senorita. But you must already have given the superintendent one very nasty moment. Do you remember when you said of Simeon Lee, he must have been a very good-looking man when he was young, and you turned to Sugden and said, like you, you meant it quite literally. When were you sure, Poirot? You remember, Mrs. Lee, that I asked you if you knew of a fancy dress shop? Yes, Monsieur Poirot. Hmm. Well, I wanted to buy a false moustache to try on Simeon Lee's picture. 
when I did so, Superintendent, the face that looked at me was you. God rot his soul in hell. Oh, I'm glad I did it. God bless my soul. My best man. What's the police coming to? Even policemen have private lives. Sugden was a very proud man and a very patient one. He must have nursed his vengeance for a long time. Mm. Well, at least one good thing came out of it. Pilar is going to marry Stephen. That rounds things off nicely. <laughs> the triumph of love. Yes, but there is one thing that still puzzles me. What was George Lee doing after he telephoned? Why wouldn't he tell us? He was having a look through his brother Alfred's papers. He was trying to find out how he stood financially. God bless my soul. Well, the fire's going well. Mm. I always say nothing like a wood fire. Pour moi. Every time, the central heating. Peter Salas played Hercule Poirot in Hercule Poirot's Christmas by Agatha Christie. Dramatised for radio by Michael Bakewell. Superintendent Sugden was Edward D'Souza, Colonel Johnson, Manning Wilson, and Simeon Lee, Cyril Luckham. Alfred, Richard Durden, Lydia, Rachel Gurney, George, Gordon Reed, Magdalene Avril Clark, David George Parsons, Hilda Sheila Grant, and Harry Nicky Henson. Stephen Farr, James Good, Pilla Estravados, Deborah Makepeace, Horbury the manservant, Stuart Organ, Willie the footman, David Goodland, and Priscillian the butler was Derek Guiler. The play was directed by Enid Williams. Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs>